Pastor Mike's about to come up to bless us with our message this morning, so I invite you to join me in prayer for him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day, and we pray, God, that your spirit would speak through Pastor Mike as you have prepared his heart to deliver these words. We pray that you would prepare ours to receive them. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Here our choir in full voice. Good to see you guys in your full team regalia, regardless of who is um, important to your heart. We know that since you're here, uh, Team Marian Methodist is important to your heart, and uh, of course beyond that is Team Jesus, for whom we serve. Um, want to share a couple of preparatory comments uh, so that you'll know where we're going. I uh, wanted to show you something very exciting that's going to happen. All of February is exciting around here. Um, wanna, I have a picture of a guy named Daniel Scott. Do we have Daniel's picture up there that we can flip up there on the screen? Um, in a couple of weeks on, uh, this is Daniel Scott, a friend of mine. Um, we're going to have in two weeks time, I don't ever want to say for one audience, one congregation to come to a different time, but in two weeks time on February 19th, Daniel is going to be here in worship just at our last two services, just at the 945 and 11. And Daniel is a gospel worship leader. So we're going to have kind of a gospel Sunday that day. And Daniel uh, is going to bring, and his wife's going to come along with him and his two little kids. And he's going to lead our worship there. So if you really like gospel music and like the way um, people who do gospel every week do it, uh, we'd encourage you to come and, and share that part of our February with us. And then as far as things to write down, I would hope you'd write this down. And I'm going to go, it's like this, it's 5 at 5. On March 5th at 5 p.m., all through the last 8 or 10 years, we've, going to, we've been telling you there's going to be a vote that decides finally how we're going to build our church. March 5th, 5 p.m., there will be a church conference, a lot more information coming. March 5th, 5 p.m., this room. We hope everybody that loves Marian Methodist. Um, comes. We hope that we have to sit pretzel style in the aisles because uh, this is a great moment in the life of our church. Uh, we've been working hard. We've been uh, um, planning, plotting, and raising funds to do that. So we hope you'll come to that. So those are, those are the remarks. Keith has already prayed. Let's go right into the sermon. I'm going to quote two guys within 15 seconds that hardly probably have ever, never in the history of the world ever been quoted together. The first one is a guy named Eminem. Eminem said this, if you have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something. Now, Eminem's a rap star. But right next to him, let's put this person you've heard of, Winston Churchill. You have enemies, good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Now, what those two men are both saying to us, that if you really have a core set of doctrines and beliefs in you, if you have something that's really, really important to you, you're going to sometimes have an enemy if you stand up for it. The church of Jesus Christ has enemies. It always has. Later today, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Do you remember what Holy Communion represents? A broken body and blood. That would indicate that the Lord himself had enemies, right? We will say this body broken for you. Well, bodies don't break by themselves. Someone has to do that to them. This blood shed for you. Well, that doesn't happen by itself. An enemy inflicted that on Jesus. 
Now, this helps us understand this fact that the church of Jesus has enemies because it always has to help us understand that Christians are always supposed to be in the world. We live in the world. You and I live in Marion or Cedar Rapids or Robbins or Coggin or somewhere like that. We live here and we live out our lives going to work, going to the places that are part of the world that's been created for us. We're in it. We're citizens of the world and... We are not to be of that world. We have a higher calling. We have a higher citizenship in Jesus Christ. So when someone says, well, I'm in this, but not of it, it means I'm a Christian in the middle of it, but because I I am a Christian, I will have enemies in it, and I, of course, have to be above it. The Lord Jesus himself said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me. First, if you belong to the world, It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We have enemies. So welcome to fun philanthropic February. (laughs) We have enemies. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about how the church of Christ and Christians that live in it have enemies on three fronts. The first front that we have enemies on is the power structure of the world. The power structures of this world are based on a hierarchy. And we have a Lord Jesus Christ who comes in and says, you, 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 all of you are of infinite value of worth. You're all equal to each other. Red, brown, yellow, black, white, regardless of what kind of a person you are, one is as high of standing in my life, speaking for Jesus, as the next. And yet the power structures of the world say there are haves and there are have-nots and the haves are what matter. We stand opposed to such a thing. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is to say that love and mercy are to be offered to all. That those that are less able, we're to help the least of God's children. Where the power structures of the world says the strongest survive. The Lord Jesus tells us that we live with citizenship that's dual. We have citizenship on this world. And in this world, we're supposed to comply with the wishes of the state. We're to pray for the state that we're in, regardless of what country we might live in. We're to, we're, to, we're to support the governments under which we find ourselves. And yet, we have a higher citizenship, which is an eternal citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. And yet, the power structure of this world says, this is all that matters. Have fidelity to this right now. The power structures of the world have always stood opposed to the church. Even though in the midst of them, they might give the church or religious organizations some sort of leeway to, quote, understand how governments work, keep people happy. And of course, we have a church, a Christ who says everyone is not only of infinite value and worth and individually important, but given ultimate human freedom to do with their spirit and their lives as they wish, to decide for themselves by, 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 by who they affiliate, how their life is going to turn out. But of course, every state, every power structure in the world has to say conform because this is the way. Resistance is futile. You need to go along with all of us. So make no mistake about this. The church has enemies. There are enemies in the world They want to destroy the church and make Christians dead. Secondly, the second enemy we face is the spiritual powers of darkness. Now, we don't like to, in the North American church, talk about this too much, but it's really clear in the scriptures where Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, excuse me, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, get your mind around this, that the church teaches and has always taught that there is an external force in the spiritual world that consistently and constantly stands opposed to Jesus Christ and his church. And at the Mount of Temptation and many other places, that power is named. I know we don't like to talk about him in polite company. But in the Mount of Temptation, Jesus meets not with some teacher of philosophy, not with someone that might want to sell him some goods. What Jesus meets on the Mount of Temptation is the devil himself. And it's the devil that tries to weaken Jesus and pull him away from God. And Jesus pushes him away. He shuns the devil by telling him the word of God. Now, I don't want to undersell this devil. In the culture I grew up with, there was a guy named Flip Wilson. How many of you remember Flip? There's a few of you. Man, I get to 945 and 11, I'm going to be by myself on that. (laughs) But Flip Wilson used to always say, the devil made me do it, right? And we always laughed. But in the spiritual forces in the realms of the world, if the devil made you do it, you're going to hell. That's not funny. But make no mistake, there's a spiritual entity that wants the church and wants Christians dead and stands opposed to us at all times. It is true that there are obstructionist structures in the world. It is true that, that, that there are dark powers in the spiritual world and we could name that the big enemies of the church are ISIS or atheism or secular humanism or we could name other things. We could name the devil himself and those are all working to eradicate the church from the face of the earth. But I want to tell you today because I came by as your pastor, not as a lectioner. There are many long-term enemies of the church that are external to the church and external to you and me. That is well documented in history. And I will say, for you personally, there are some much more dangerous foes to the church, much more dangerous enemies in the developed world today than those two things I mentioned already. They're there. They're a clear and present danger. But you see, in the developed world, and that's us, you know, any of us that drove here by, in a car today or any kind of motorized vehicle, that means we're in the top 5% of the wealth, wealthiest people in the world. That's the developed world. So those of us in the developed world fight some enemies that are more internal than external. And I want to take a look at all those. I'm going to put all of these enemies of of the church and Christianity within ourselves under the category of spiritual insufficiency. Spiritual insufficiency. You know, I I was looking back at what we've done on Fun Philanthropic February a number of times. We've had Super Bowl celebrations. We even had a press box in here. We've had teleprompters. I've even had somebody throw a flag in the middle of my sermon when I did a bad joke. Which he kept wanting to throw it and throw it and throw it. But one flag per sermon. But when we came around this week, I said, no, we really need to, to have the fun, you know, and take ser- very seriously the notion of how in the world today we stand opposed. 
Not just in the current milieu, but always. Within this category of spiritual insufficiency, that's what, that's what looks back at us in the mirror. And, and not all these will fit you, but I want you to take a look at some of these and see how they come to you in your life. The first I would list would be apathy. There is sometimes within us as Christians no driving passion, no intense emotion, nothing rising up from our soul that, that, that says we have to advance Christ in our generation. We love going to church, and we, but we want it kind of for ourselves, but we don't have this passion to, 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 to make sure that, that it gets out, that it bubbles out, that it's an ever-flowing stream. We sometimes look at the church and in, in the world, and of course we have this big building and everything we say about the work of the church. Well, surely, 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 surely someone else will do this. I have a friend that was leading a pastoral meeting once, and I asked him, I said, Dave, how are you doing today? He said, I'm overwrought with apathy. Got so much apathy, I just don't even care about not having any. You know? And sometimes in the church, we as individuals, and I'm really talking about a personal in, spiritual insufficiency, we have this spiritual insufficiency of, of apathy, and the antidote is here. <clears throat> Is, is in Romans chapter 12, it says these words, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And I'll tell you, it's a weighty thing. You live in it and I live it every day. Do not conform to, this, to the, the pattern of this world, but be transformed, which means be changed by the renewing of your mind. Every single day, let your mind be renewed in Christ. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. The second internal spiritual problem that many, many, many of us here and other, other places deal with is simple distraction. We're distracted. You know, the world of many things claims us. We have to run over there. We have to do this for work. We have to go watch this. But the world of many things claims us. And here we are in a generation, especially those of us in North America, that we have more conveniences than ever lived. <clears throat> Raise your hand if in the last 10 years you've beat your pants against a rock to, to wash them out. Not so many? Okay. Most of us use restrooms inside our homes. A couple of you in the balcony? Okay, no? All right. Uh, <laughs> but we have all these conveniences. We have all these things to save us time. And yet our claim is day after day, we're too busy. And sometimes we're too busy and so distracted that we don't attend to our faith. So, so because we build no strategy for growing ourselves in Christ, so what, we, what happens is we let the distractions of our lives take us over. When we hope beyond hope that we'll be grandmothered in. What I mean by that is this, true conversation I had with a person that I care for very much. We were talking about their faith. And I said, well, where are you in faith? And she said to me, by the way, with deep seriousness, well, my Nana had a powerful faith. And? That's it? But what about you? Do you, well, my Nana, well, she was hoping that her Nana's faith would somehow grandfather her in, or grandmother, I guess, in that case, into the, the, the house of faith, that she would somehow become a faithful person because her grandma had had this deep and rich faith. 
we get so distracted that we don't, we don't really look for a plan. We don't really commit ourselves to any kind of plan to, to growing our faith and doing our faith in, in the world. We don't really think of how we're going to take that leap of faith in the world that, that, that makes it real and, and knocks down the distractions. Third, underneath this category of spiritual insufficiency, I would put self-centeredness. In our generation, there is a lot of self-centeredness going on. We even might express it this way by saying, well, faith shouldn't be hard. It's easy coming to church. I mean, we can drive right up. We can, in most churches, you can park right outside, walk in, you know. We, we, we shouldn't feel like it's hard to be a Christian today. We, we, it, it, it doesn't feel good to stand out. It doesn't feel good to sacrifice. I, I, I was listening to or watching a late night show, you know, talk show. I don't remember which one now, but there was some little girl. She'd become famous for something. I don't remember. But the host asked her this, you know, a typical little girl question. She's six, seven years old. He's just messing around with her. And he says, uh, would you ever like to be able to fly? You know, that's kind of a dream, a daydream when you're a kid. It'd be cool to fly from Marion to Cedar Rapids or, you know, my house to Culver's, get an ice cream cone, come back. It'd be kind of cool to fly, right? And she says, yeah, that would be so fun. Unless everybody else couldn't do it. If I was the only one, I wouldn't really want to do it because I don't really want to stand out. Well, I came by to tell you today that as Christians... If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to stand out. I'm standing in front of you with a certain set of colors on, and it stands out. And you're proud to wear your colors too. You stand out amongst us. We've got oranges and purples and reds and greens and all these kind of things. And you even know that lightly sometimes that someone stands opposed because you stand out for that particular team. But yet we're asking in, in Christian church, the, the idea of standing out is to say, no, stake your whole life on this. And are you willing to stand out for what your life is all about? And the church is supposed to be this encouraging, safe harbor for all of us that during the week stand out and sacrifice to come in and be nourished and, and, and fortified and to grow in our faith. The little book of Jude, which you could read in one set of commercials today, says this. It's only 25 verses. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Focus on Christ, not only self. A fourth enemy, I think, that, that faces us inside. I said self-centered, but there's a, it, self-centeredness has a cousin called self-reliance. We depend on ourselves. Keith mentioned last week in his talk this workshop that we with a, quite a number of other pastors went to. Um, it, well, actually, we didn't go to it. It was held here. So we came here, and it was here. But there was some haunting stuff that went on there. When you look at self-reliance, they were showing us some statistics and, and generational stuff and all this kind of thing. At one point, they said this, and understand this. This, the generation that's living right now, is the first generation in all of history first generation in all of history that looks inside themselves for truth. They look inside themselves to see what's absolute. Most of us grew up looking towards a church or a family structure or traditions 
to, or, or the social mores and norms of a culture to say, well, this is what, what, what truth is. But the, the majority of people today in, in the North American culture say that my truth is within myself. I even heard this week as I was driving from here to there, one of our professional athletes say on, on the radio, not to say that we should emulate them or anything like that, but we are wearing sports teams colors today. But he said, my truth is my truth and that's all I'll need. I want to tell you how unfortified that position is, how unbacked up that is. Your truth is not just your truth alone. We come to Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but me. There is an absolute truth, and he hangs on the tree for us. He is the eternal one that is part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's one way, one truth, one King of kings. It's undeniable. It's eternal. It's personal and corporate. You can claim it. We all can have it. But we need to understand how how big an enemy to the church, us claiming whatever's true for me is true for me and whatever's true for you is true for you. We have to understand how fast that breaks down a church and a culture. It is a difficult thing. Fifth, false teachings. There's lots of, uh, false teaching is one of the big things that scripture talks about all the time. Obviously, if someone says, you know, Jesus is wrong and all this, and you know, it's a made up story. Okay, we can push back at those false teachings. They're easy to see. What we find out, what we see, not only in our church, but in our own personal lives, is watered down teachings. It's taking scripture verses and using them in a different way than you might want to. I understand why in a weight room you might say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I doubt very much if Christ cares if you increase your bench press from 250 to 275. What he cares about is that you give your effort in whatever you're doing. I understand. We understand why people put stuff on coffee cups and all that kind of stuff because it does inspire us. We need to make sure that it inspires us in the way it's given to us. We need to make sure that we don't teach, turn that teaching because you, you can see how one ingredient can make such a big difference in something if you just water stuff down. Because I've seen so many things watered down in my life as a pastor from Bible school curriculum to others that we fight. And I know probably even some of these teachings that we've been done are saying, well, these are kind of hard to consume because there's so much content here. But let me understand you, help you understand this. Earlier this week, I made for, for staff and some friends these chocolate chip kind of brownie, blondie things, okay? And when it got to that, you know, part of the recipe where it said half a cup of granulated sugar, okay? If I had a substitute, say for instance, iodized salt for that sugar, those cookies had looked exactly the same. They would have, but they'd have been horrible. And my staff is just nice enough to have choked them down right there in front of me. (laughs) All the while saying, oh, these are really good, Pastor Mike. (laughs) You know. But you understand how we can water things down and how we do that to our own selves. We hear the teachings of Jesus, pure and true and, and holy and eternal. And we say, well, maybe not all that. Because I'll tell you this. Those of us in the front row, with all you, we live in the world today, and people out here are hungry. They're hungry for meaning. And not only are they hungry for meaning, they're searching for meaning. 
And if all we have to give them is a watered-down truth, they're going to die. And part of that responsibility is going to be at our hands. But people want the truth. They're looking for some meaning in their lives. And we know it. It's packed in the Word of God. And if we need, if we need to, to grow our own understanding of what might, false teaching might be, we, of course, start with what is true teaching in the Word of God. Sixth, I'm only going to give you seven, so we can get to the table of Holy Communion. One of the biggest spiritual insufficiencies we have is a witness gone mute. This is socialized faith that we're a part of in Christianity. But so much of our socialized faith has become privatized. We've, we've quit sharing it. I would bet, I would almost bet, but I'm a Methodist, so we don't bet, you know? Okay? But, but if we were to, to take statistics of however many people are here, I would guess, with a fairly educated guess, that not one soul is here that wasn't taught about Christ by another soul. I, I doubt there's one soul here that just woke up and said, I think God is a good idea. I think I'll follow him. No. You were witness to. There was someone that took the mute button off there. I know a lot of you are working the mute button already for this afternoon's game. Some of you are going to turn it off, you know, turn the mute on when the game's on and on when this commercials, all that kind of stuff. But, but what's happened in the church is we've, we've turned the mute button on in our own personal witness to others. Even knowing how thankful we are that someone else told us about this. Have you ever thought how silly it is when you're a little four-year-old kid or five-year-old kid going to Sunday school and you sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? I sang that before I could read. That's an oxymoron, right? How odd to proclaim the truth of a book that, that tells you something when you can't read it yet. Because the only reason I knew what it said was someone else told me. True for you too. For most of you. We can't, we can't quiet our tell. Christ depends on our tell. That's how we know him. That's how others will come to know him. But it's the huge enemy of the church for the Christians Psalm 105 says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Make known among the nation you live in, the people you live around, what he has done. Seventh and last. This one sears my soul. Our spiritual insufficiency says, sin is no more. We have deleted sin from our, our community. We have deleted the possibility of sin. It is almost impossible to sin today. If you look at television, if you look at our current culture, if you listen to the the clientele that surrounds us, sin does not exist. We don't want to claim it. And those of us in the church and other places, we certainly don't want to name it. We don't want to say, that is sin, that is sin, that is sin, that is sin. We, We do not. We do not want to name sin. But I want to tell you, and I just came by to let you know and to encourage you in this, that sin is still sin. There are always things that have been wrong and will be wrong. There are always things that oppose Jesus in our behavior, and there always shall be. Listen to this. Jesus endured this painful cross. He endured the painful cross, not because it was a fun thing to do. It was not. He endured the painful cross. Why? For the forgiveness of sin. So if there is no sin, we erase redemption. 
Do you get that part of the Christian theology? If there is no sin, you erase redemption. If there is no redemption, there's no need be here. There's no need for us to, to, to throw our souls at Christ. There's no need for us to care for one another. There's no need for us to take our wallets out and fi- fix this church and build a new one and, and fill up this altar with, with soup cans today. There is sin in the world. It is one of the most, most uh, horrifying enemies in our personal lives is that we kind of think in ourselves. We don't, we don't even think. We're, I hope we haven't lost our horrified nature. But we often say, well, I know that's wrong, but that's their deal. Let's stay out of it. But we can't sidestep the scriptures where it says in Romans, for the wages of sin... Is death. By the way, that's not talking first death. That's talking second death. You die physically. The wages of sin is eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's what brings us to this moment. The moment of Holy Communion. Understand this. Maybe it wasn't the most fun sermon you ever heard in your life. But you do need to understand this, that his enemies are your enemies and his friends are your friends. And we're going to have both. And when we come to communion in a few moments, we'll lift up the bread. And and in the Christian church, we believe that there's one loaf because we believe that one loaf fortifies all of us, that Christ came to die for all of us collectively. And because of that, there is one loaf, one body. And when we celebrate communion in just a couple minutes time, we'll raise the cup and many of you will dip juice into this cup. And there's one cup. And in that one cup, you individually will dip dip your hand with the bread from the one loaf. The one loaf that represents Christ is for all of us. But in this cup, you'll understand that Christ fortifies every one of us individually and singly because your challenges and your battles are not my battles. His battles are all of our battles. And when we come forward to communion, I pray beyond all things, that you'll be fortified for the battle you're in right now to face the enemies that you face. Because here's the truth. No enemy has ever prevailed against those who stand with him. No enemy has ever prevailed against the friends of Jesus Christ. So be strong and courageous and be fortified right here at your Lord's table. The great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we join, we praise your name and join their unending hymns saying together, Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, He took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of all your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, the table of your Lord Jesus is for you. It is prepared. Let the stewards just have a moment to get ready, and as you're ushered, please come forward.